0: Scripture lesson I've chosen to read from Hebrews, the sixth chapter, beginning at the thirteenth verse. I'm going to read this from Lambsa's translation. Um, Lambsa's translation, he was a Middle Easterner. And this is the Aramaic. And uh, I I don't know if you've heard that word before, but it's probably the language that Jesus spoke, and uh, it was the common language of the day. It was a kind of a mixture. Uh, it had Arabic and it had Babylonian and it had Hebrew and a bunch of others. But anyway, this was a very early uh, version of the Bible, and. Uh, Lamza was well known. I'm sure he's dead by this time, but he was very well known for his lectures on the Middle East. So beginning at the 13th verse of the 6th chapter. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because there was none greater than himself, by whom he could swear, he swore by himself, saying, Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you and so he was patient and obtained the promise. For men swear by one who is greater than themselves, and in every dispute among them the true settlement is by oaths. Therefore, because God wanted more abundantly to show to the heirs of promise that his agreement was unchangeable, he sealed it by an oath. Thus, by the promise and by the oath, both of which are unchangeable, and neither of which could God lie, we find courage to hold fast to the hope that has been promised by Him in whom we have taken refuge. That promise is like an anchor to us. It upholds the soul so that it may not be shaken, and it penetrates beyond the veil of the temple. Therein Jesus has previously entered into the temple for our sakes and become the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we've read... Hebrews 6, 13 through 20 in Lambs' translation. It's it's a peaceful thought uh, to talk about the sure hope that we uh, got from this particular passage as a kind of respite from war news and all other kinds of problems that we uh, see in the world. So it's kind of a... A word of encouragement and uh, and uh, this is still uh, a part of the digression from the main theme of this section of Christ our high priest, and there was an exhortation in nine through twelfth verses that some through faith and patience inherit the promises, so we uh, but it's it's a wonderful uh, section uh, because it takes us back to Abraham, and uh, it's going, in fact it, the, the particular text we read ends with talking about Melchizedek, which is going to be the next topic in the in the seventh chapter. Uh, so it talks there in thirteenth verse when God made promise to Abraham. And this is what we're saying, it's an exhortation in which we remember Abraham. Uh, when you go back into the book of Genesis, which is the book of beginnings, 11th chapter talks about Terah and his sons and relationship of between the different families. But then when it gets into the 12th chapter, it starts out, now the Lord had said to Abraham. So we don't know how long ahead of this it was, but nevertheless uh, he he speaks to him. This is Yahweh speaking to Abram, saying, Get thee out of thy country from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show you, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless them that bless you. Curse him that curses you, and you shall all families of the earth be blessed. So this is the beginning of the promises that God made to Abraham. That's why we still talk about him today, because none of these promises have ever been fulfilled. Uh, Hope uh, is a firmly relying confidence. That we have in 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 a promise that has been made to us, in other words we it's real to us because we're so sure that it's going to happen that that it is very real to us, and it's very sure and uh we know that Abraham obeyed and he went out and but part of the promise is back in the seventh verse again. Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there is where he built an altar to God. So it involved land and seed. And we have before talked about how this is the gospel to Abraham. Because the gospel in the New Testament, so-called New Testament, talks about the kingdom and Jesus, the land and the seed. The same two subjects are repeated to us as were repeated to Abraham. In fact, Paul in Galatians 3 said that God preached before the gospel unto Abraham. So we know that uh, the promises God made were good news or gospel. And when you get into uh, Genesis and go on from the 12th into the 15th, he, he talks about the extent of the land. I got thinking about this in relation to the Present conflict over Egypt because the land of promise, according to the 15th chapter of Genesis 18th verse, is from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river of the Euphrates. So uh, Egypt is part of the promised land that will ultimately be given to Abraham and his seed. Um, the 17th chapter talks about the sealing of the covenant by uh, the token of circumcision, and so on. And then this was gone on and repeated to Isaac, and it was repeated to Jacob. So the same promises were, were given to, to, to both of them, to all of his seed that followed. So <clears throat> there were different reasons. I've talked a good many times about it, but I still think it's important. God called him out because of the idolatry of his relatives. He wanted to deal with him on a personal basis, and the only way he could was to call him out. That's the only way he can deal with us, is to call us out. And uh, so we we have to leave those things, too. The thing that I want to talk to especially is how sure our hope is and you noticed when we were reading that he said there was nobody greater than God. Usually he said if you're going to if you're going to swear an oath, you do by somebody greater than yourself. Well, God didn't have anybody greater, and so he swore by himself. He, he made an oath. Uh, when we think about oaths, we don't generally uh, we don't generally. The most swearing anybody does today is put your hands on the Bible and swear in a court of law that you will tell the truth and the whole truth, nothing but the truth. But uh, back in those days, evidently it must have been very common because Jesus got after the people, but swearing by the, the temple, swearing by Jerusalem and so on. So they, so he fussed with them for doing that. He said, don't, don't um, give an oath, just say you'll do it and do it. But anyway, God, because there was nobody greater that He could swear by, He He swore by Himself. That's what the thirteenth verse of our scripture lesson says. When God made promise to Abraham, because He could swear by no greater, He swore by Himself. And uh, but this was when you you go into this, you'll find out chronologically that. Uh, this occurred in the 22nd chapter of Genesis after He had offered Isaac. So this was uh, getting it in the proper time frame. It was after He had offered Isaac, and God, uh, you might say, repeated or reaffirmed the, the covenant. So as it goes on here in Hebrews, it said that after He had patiently endured he obtained the promise. Uh, patient endurance is there. In fact, if you get even dealing with the second coming, you can go into the 24th of Matthew. The word endure is used over and over again. It's not how we start. It's how we endure uh, and, and remain true to the end. So he had some ups and downs. In fact, I I was talking to um, somebody the other day about uh, the fact that Abraham didn't come out a full-blown faithful man. He had to grow just like we do. He tried to do things his own way. When God said that Sarah was going to have a son, well, I don't believe that. Here's Eliezer, my servant, make him the heir. Then they said, well, here's Hagar, your wife's bondmaid, have child by her. Over and over he kept trying his own way and and they just didn't work. In fact, most of the troubles we have today are because of him doing things in his own way. In other words, he gave us Moab and Ammon, the children of Lot. He gave us Ishmael and Esau, the forebears of the modern Arabs. So anyway, he, he kept at it and finally he got it right that Sarah did have a child. He was the seat of promise. And so as a result, he received the promise. He did not receive what was promised. That, In fact, that, that is not, not indicated in our Scripture lesson that he received what was promised. It says that he obtained the promise, not what was promised. Because he still hasn't received that. In fact, uh, Hebrews, the 11th chapter, talks about these all died in faith, not having received the promises. Stephen, in his sermon uh, in the 7th chapter of Acts, said that Abraham didn't receive so much as to set his foot on. That's not very much land, not even enough land to set his foot on. So as a result, we know that those two texts are very plain, showing that he did not receive what was promised. He received the promise, but He didn't receive what was promised. The thing that He tries to bring out to us, to to get us to realize how promise, how sure the promise is and how sure our hope is, He talks about two immutables. Uh, two things that are unchangeable, absolutely unchangeable. They are the oath and the promise. I like the reading there in Lamza. Here it's, it's not quite as uh, clear. The 18th verse, By two immutable things in which it was impossible f- for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge, lay hold upon the hope set before us. But Lamza said in that 18th verse, Thus by the promise and by the oath, both of which are unchangeable or immutable, and in neither of which could God lie, we find courage to hold fast to the hope that has been promised by him in whom we have taken refuge. So those are the those are the two in fact it doesn't from the King James the eighteenth verse doesn't seem very plain, but you see that the last word of the seventeenth verse is oath. Uh, and, and then it goes on to talk. it talked earlier about the promise. So, well, in fact, the same verse. The promise, the heirs of the promise, and the oath. So those are the two. Those are the two unchangeable things. God can't lie. And he can't die. So uh, the hope is sure. In other words, it doesn't make any difference the fact that. When I stop and think about it, it rather boggles my mind. Abraham lived about nineteen hundred years before Jesus, and we're living over two thousand years after Jesus, and yet this this promise has never been fulfilled. And that takes some believing, it takes some faith, because uh, we we're not seeing anything; we're just we're just reading about it and taking the witness of the scriptures that this is so. I I admit my, that myself that I uh, sometimes get a little bit impatient uh with the way things are going, but I as far as the world signs and things of that are concerned, but then when uh we we get our eyes back on Israel and see what's going on there and see the potential of her greatest enemies arising out of this present problem the muslim brotherhood is not one of uh, the president's men said it's just a a secular movement but it's not it's it's uh, in the extreme muslim position of wanting sharia law and all of the things that they have to do with keeping uh, Islam to the very uh, nth degree. But the thing is that he's he added, he added two different things to Abraham, the promise and the oath, neither one of which are changeable, neither which of which in which God could lie. So it will be fulfilled. Israel uh, never has really come to her glory. The closest she ever came to it was under Solomon uh He had mines he had fleets he had uh, he built stables in all the different parts of his kingdom and people from the surrounding nations came to to Jerusalem and it was just about like the queen of Sheba after she saw his reign he said the half has not been told. In other words it was greater than she was ever led to believe. So with us the the Christian hope is not for this life only. And by hope I mean eternal life by resurrection. And. 1 Corinthians 15 is very good on that, and this, in which it said, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Our hope is not for, for this life only. If it is, there's no resurrection when we fall asleep. We're not just falling asleep; we're perished, never to rise again. But then he said, "Now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. He is an indication of what the order of will be in the in the new, new heavens, new earth, new creation, the new nation." So this is talking about as an Adam all die, even so in Christ will all be made alive. Jesus is going to reign till so he puts all enemies under his feet and the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And finally, he's going to deliver the kingdom to God having subdued the enemies. So our hope is in future good. Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope. The glorious appearing of the great God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul, in his defense in Acts twenty-four fifteen, he said, I have hope in God, which they also allow, talking about the Jews, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. This is something that he was pre- presenting to them and holding forth as a, as a, as a his own hope. I have hope as they hope. There will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. Acts 2:26. This is in a sermon on the day of Pentecost. Talking about David. Therefore did my heart rejoice, my tongue was glad, also. My flesh shall rest in hope. I use those words on my wife's tombstone. Rest in hope. It's, uh, I personally, uh, I read the obituaries day by day in the Greenville News. It says so-and-so went to be with God, or so-and-so is in the arms of Jesus, and so on and so forth. But I know where my wife is. She's under the ground at the Guthrie Grove Cemetery. I go there. I know she's there. And I, I have that old-fashioned Jewish custom of putting a little pebble on her tombstone each time I visit. And its I go there quite a bit. I keep live flowers on her grave, summer and winter. She's resting in hope and uh, I trust I'll see her again. So that is uh, a blessing to me. 1st Thessalonians four thirteen one 13 through 18, one of my favorite texts, in which he said, I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not as others which have no hope. I think that is that is the difference. I have uh, <coughs> conducted funerals for many non-members through my in my years in the ministry and there's a difference when you stand at the grave of a of a saint. It's different than standing at the grave of someone who has never done anything. To, to serve God or to escape the wrath of the age to come. We sorrow, but not as others which have no hope. Jesus died and rose again, even so them which are asleep in Him will God lead forth. This is a, a great hope. The trumpet will sound. Dead in Christ will rise first. If we should be living, we would be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the atmosphere, and we would ever be with the Lord. It's, it's a wonderful hope. And that's what Paul is trying to get across to these people. How sure it is, God can't lie. He's given His oath, He's given His promise. 1 Peter 1, 3 says we're begotten again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And 1 John 3, beloved, now are we the sons of God. doth not appear what we shall be. We know when He appears we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is punchline on that is, he that has his hope will purify himself, even as God is pure. It's not just something to be isolated and put in a bottle. It is something that is an integral part of our lives. I like these words in Romans 8, when he's talking about hope. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us for the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation, it says creature in King James, but creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who have subjected the same in hope. In other words, when... God subjected man to the effects of sin or death. He he did it in hope. The creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption in the glorious liberty of the children of God. We know that the whole creation groans and travels in pain together till now. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves Grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body, and its resurrection. We are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. We don't have it. We don't have what we're hoping for. It's, it's still future, and we're, we're waiting for it. The redemption of our body, the final adoption into the family of God. These are beautiful words and, and wonderful words about the fact that we haven't missed it. It's still future, and so we're looking forward to it. There are very few things sure in this life. It seems like they still say death and taxes are sure, but I guess there's some people get out of taxes. No way I know of getting out of death. But nevertheless, re- re-reading this, God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater. He swore by himself, saying, Surely I will, blessing I will bless thee multiplying, I will multiply thee." And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. God, willing more abundantly to show to the heirs of promise the unchangeableness of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things, the promise and the oath, it's in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope set before us, which we have as an anchor of the soul. Um, I don't know how people exist who don't have the hope uh, that we have. Um, They say that suicide is becoming one of the leading causes of death even among young people people despair they they don't have any hope they don't see any way out of what's going on but we we have uh, this this great hope in god and this great faith and this hope that we have and it's an anchor to our lives the word soul there is is life it's an anchor of our lives it even goes in to in within the veil into the presence of god where Jesus has gone to be made a high priest for us ever, forever after the order of Melchizedek. Um, this whole thing is wonderful. And I, I, I see why our, our people through the years have, have talked about this so much. Because it really is the basis of, of our hope and of our lives. It's all it keeps us going is looking beyond present trials to to something better. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Thank you for your time.